0: Two Geeks, Two Beers podcast, nerdy obsessions, drunken ramblings, with Morgan Jeffrey and Tom Eames.
1: No one would have believed, in the early years of the 21st century that pointless and drunken geeky chats were being listened to around the timeless worlds of podcasts. No one could have dreamed that two British nerds were being scrutinised as someone with a microscope studies monkeys scratching their asses in a zoo. Few people even considered the possibility of this podcast actually having a coherent thought. And yet, across the Gulf of London, these two dweebs with minds severely damaged by beer regarded TV, film and general pop culture with boozy eyes. And slowly, and surely... They just about stumbled through another episode. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Two Geeks Two Beers, with me Tom Eames and my longtime partner and geek Tim Morgan Jeffrey.
0: Oh my God, we're back again. <laughs> Did that make any sense to you whatsoever? What I was just doing? Yeah, no, no, yeah. You, you, you pre-warned me. Yeah. Um, pre-warned. That's yeah. just warned. Yeah. Um, that I might not get that intro. Um, but I'm I'm vaguely aware of, if not Jeff Wayne's War of the World specifically. The concept of, of War <laughs> of the Worlds. So no, I got it. That was that felt like the most effort you've ever put into anything for this. Podcast. I
1: didn't didn't screw it up. I got through. Got through
0: it. Yeah, more or less. So in this episode,
1: I'm going on a very geek.
0: <laughs> it was going so well.
1: I'm going on a very different kind of geek journey and a relatively rare genre for us, mm. um, a geeky concept album. Yeah, um, I'm traveling back to 1978 to tackle. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds the musical version of the classic H.G. Wells sci-fi story but told in a very unique and some might say I'd say the greatest way
0: possible wow yeah strong so you may well get onto this yeah but Jeff Wayne yeah was he like a big deal pre-War of the Worlds no Right, because I feel like I feel like it's. I'm sure he was in his own circles, but he wasn't famous in his own. I'm a big deal in my own circles, yeah. my, my own limited circles, um, ever decreasing circles. <laughs> but but I just feel like he's like, yeah, this is this is this is mine. I've done this. This is Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. I'm gonna put my name on it, so that no one ever, no one ever just calls know, it War, War of the World, the, the concept War album, the War of the World, the musical. Yeah, it's always Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, uh, we'll start with the beer, shall we?
0: Yep. Um,
1: again, I've purposely gone for uh, a themed beer um, for the show. And I thought I've done all right. Ready?
0: Ready for the live reveal?
1: It is. Wow. Flying Saucer Sour. Yeah, Flying Saucer Sour from uh, Excel Brewery, I think they're called. A rhubarb and strawberry tongue twister. So it might not be the greatest beer we've ever tasted, Again,
0: a lot of a lot of effort's
1: gone into that's, that's that's the best
0: that's, that's the best themed beer we've had for for a long time. Yeah. And do you know what? That sounds a lot more palatable yeah. than that uh, yeah. awful licorice shit we were drinking <laughs> a
1: few episodes back. I'll read the in description at the back. Flying saucer? Why for you call it this? Well, it's not a UFO flying saucer. It's those sherbetty flavour bombs wrapped in rice paper, you used to consume in great quantities as a child. Oh, yeah. We wanted to make a fruity sour using rhubarb and strawberries. We used Lalamand Philly Sour uh, yeast. It's a pretty funky yeast that is actually derived from bees and wasps. Wow, it says in brackets, and produces well-balanced sourness. So, there we go.
0: Well-balanced sourness is how I like to describe my personality. Yeah, well, so, here we go. Yeah.
1: Ah. Ooh. Now, I'm not, I'm not the biggest cider drinker in the world, but that is, um, yeah. Is it Cider? It's a sour.
0: What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> two geeks, two beers. If you if you'd ever been it's not lager, we don't know. What's if talking. you'd ever been under the misapprehension that this was a a, a, beer, a, podcast. a beer podcast, yeah. that is that is proven. That's yeah, all right. It's very much not the case. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's. it's I mean. Yeah. It's, it Doesn't smell great.
1: It's because we have to decant it into these containers to make it safe around the studio, so it's always it's always a bit metallic when we taste mm. it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I'll drink it. Mm. Bad worse.
1: So, War of the Worlds, um, thoughts. What are your like knowledge? What's your knowledge of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds as
0: it is currently? N- n- next to nothing.
1: Wait, really?
0: Next, next to nothing. So, War of the Worlds, yeah. M- more broadly, yeah. Um, H.G. Wells. Always yeah. we'll get my Wells's mixed up. H.G. Yeah. Wells, not wrote, Orson Wells. No, well, we'll come a- on to that. H.G. Wells wrote a book, yeah, that was about Martians invading planet Earth. Yeah, Orson Wells. The other guy then did a a very famous radio broadcast. Yeah. Um. In the Ghost Watch of its day, in which he he acted it out as if it were actually happening as a radio broadcast. Um. Transposed it to what was then the modern day. Yeah. People thought. Yeah. Shit, this is actually happening. Getting invaded by the Martians. Brilliant.
1: I reckon we should do that as a podcast one day for maybe for Halloween or something. Well, that's it.
0: There's there's so many variations on War of the Worlds. Um. This may not be the last you hear of it. But and, and I, I'm aware that there is this I thought it was some sort of mu- a musical version I'm not the biggest yeah. mu- musical fan so I was like mm, not not really for me but it's it's something you're either very hot or cold on the subject mm. aren't you I, I, I know nothing about this other than the fact that broadly it exists yeah. but you put a call out for mm. social media uh on social media, for you know, do, are you a fan of this? Do you yeah. remember that? Do you have any memories of this? People, people love it. Yeah. Um. And I have I have friends who who specifically love Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> who this is called. But up. who is this guy, Jeff Wayne? I'm fascinated by him. He's just gone. Yeah, I've done this. Put my name at the front. My War of the Worlds. No one else's. Just say so you no, know. Jeff Wayne. Um. But but I, I know nothing about Jeff's take on it. Jeff. No, I I know little about Jeff. Well, I could tell you who Jeff is if you want. Tell me who Jeff is. Well, Jeff... Jeff, Jeff Wayne, going back to our last episode, sounds a little bit like a time crisis uh, action hero. <laughs> it does, yeah. Jeff Wayne. His full name, I didn't realise, is Jeffrey, right? Jeffrey. But
1: spelt... Strong name. J-E-F-F-R-Y. Oh, he was so close. Yeah. He's one letter off yeah. perfection. Yeah. He's actually American, but um, a naturalised Brit. He was born in New York, but mm. he's he's been in, in the UK for a long time. Um, but that that is... Is, is kind of he was in like um he did composed scores for the west for west end musicals and things like that in the 60s right. and 70s and he what he produced like david essex's album rock on <laughs> back in the early 70s he did like tv commercials and stuff like that um and i think i don't know if he had like help from his dad or something but he just just Got to do all the world. How did that the, the,
0: given the gig? But but not only did he do it, but the balls on Jeffrey Wayne. I know. To, to then go, I'm I'm going to put my name at the front of <laughs> yeah. it. You're not Spielberg. I know. How dare you? Yeah.
1: He says his father Jerry Wayne uh, was it, an actor, singer, and theatre producer. Um, and says Jeff spent four years of his childhood in the UK when his father played romantic gambler Sky Masterson in the original West End musical production of Guys, Guys and Dolls. And Dolls.
0: <laughs> well done, you know Guys and Dolls. Yeah, well, of all the musicals, you know Guys and Dolls. I'm not a big musicals fan, but when you said uh, Sky Masterson, yeah. I immediately like, from Guys and Dolls. <laughs> There's this <laughs> little little weird bits of my brain yeah, that so, satellite then.
1: So yeah, so Jeff had a musical background f- through his father, and um, yeah. Just, just wanted to do War of the Worlds. We'll get on to how the origins of War, right. War of the Worlds came on later. But yeah, um, yeah. For me, I it was. It always felt like this grand thing. Mm. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, <laughs> because my dad had a vinyl record of it, and back then, when I was a kid, we still had. We were still in that era, right, where we were still sort of depending on what your parents were like you still had the tail end of like really old school analogue stuff. So mm. we still had like typewriter when I was a, <laughs> I was a kid, honestly. Before we before had a computer, we were still using a typewriter. What are you, what are you talking about? I, Is a yeah. type, typewriter. My, I think my parents were just really late in the day getting a PC. So we still had a type when I, was, but that I wasn't,
0: was. That wasn't the next step. No, they were just so late. You, in the, day. the human race. We didn't. We didn't go from typewriter to, <laughs> to personal computer. Yeah. There were, there well, were, you said before, we said we took ages,
1: both of us, before we got like games consoles. Yeah, we were always late with that, and yeah. it was the same with uh, PCs. And we also had a, a vinyl record player before we had like a CD player and all this kind of stuff.
0: I, I'll send you an email. <laughs> To, to my typewriter, good luck.
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he had a load of vinyl records, and one of them was War of the Worlds. and it was just this really grand double, t- double vinyl, and it just felt like this really special, important adult thing that I'm, t- I'm, I don't understand this. This yeah. is this is adult parent stuff. This is a recurring
0: theme, <laughs> stuff that you just felt was too grown up I'm or too too, too, too yeah, cool for you. Feel like that now, yeah.
1: But it it was very special, and when I listened to it, it just felt like a very important.
0: Cultural thing, and it how, turns out it is. How do you listen to something like this? Because I get, yeah, yeah, I get to a degree seeing it live, yeah. But when it's on vinyl, do you just li- literally just sort of put it on, start yeah. it spinning, and then yeah. sit cross-legged in the yeah. middle of the room and let it? Yeah,
1: it's kind of get, like, get
0: immersed in it's Jeff's kind world, of
1: like a musical audio book okay. of its day. Really, okay. you 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 can't just listen. You can. There are certain songs on it which um you could listen to on its own. It wouldn't work on shuffle. But yeah, only. The, the, well, the album versions of... You couldn't do it on Shuffle. It wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. But yeah, you'd have to listen... That's what proper albums were in the 70s yeah. by that point. Especially Concepts albums. You you had to like do it properly. You couldn't just chuck a thing on... It is on Spotify, but if you just listen to it like as a random it, track, it, it wouldn't make any
0: sense. Yeah, it would be odd if what one, uh, one single track from Jeff Wayne to All the Worlds yeah. ended up in the middle of your Discover yeah. Weekly.
1: <laughs> and it might, that might happen. It might happen. Yeah. So, coming up... How Lego is responsible for one of the most beautiful songs ever made. <laughs> how uh, some of pop's biggest names from the 90s and noughties got involved 25 plus years later. And how a future Sliders villain could have taken part. Oh, now I'm sold. Now I'm on board. <laughs> so, um, in case you didn't know, okay, Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds, which is the full title. Is it J- Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of yeah, the Worlds. Yeah, that's, that's what's actually called. is a studio double album by. Jeff Wayne, released on the 9th of June, 1978, uh, is a musical adaptation of the science fiction novel The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells in a rock opera style with a rock band, orchestra, narrator and musical phrases that carry the story and lyrics that express the feelings of the various characters.
0: Now again, <laughs> I, know, I know people love this. <laughs> you but, will be sold, I, I'm telling you. But there are... There, there, there are a few pairings of words that send a chill down my spine rock more opera? than rock opera. <laughs> I, just, just, I just, it just makes me think. Uh, no, yeah,
1: I know, but trust me,
0: you're gonna, you're gonna sell me on it. It's all good. You're gonna turn me around. All right. Yeah,
1: because all these years later, it's still very popular. It's still touring live shows around the world. It still sells, sells albums. There's lots
0: of terrible things that are still <laughs> that are still still popular and still
1: going. <laughs> so just a little backstory to War of the Worlds in general, shall we? Just a very quick run through. So War of the Worlds, I didn't know this, um, by HG e. Worlds, was first serialized in 1897 by Pearson's Magazine in the UK and Cosmopolitan Magazine in the US. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Pick Imagine up, that happening now. Imagine pick, that.
0: Pick up Cosmo. Yeah. Get, get, get your tips on uh, how to achieve the perfect orgasm. Plus. <laughs>
1: why are you here? Why, why are you here? Yeah, have a great Martian story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was written between 1895 and 1897 and is one of the earliest stories to detail a conflict between mankind and an extraterrestrial race. Uh, the novel is a first-person narrative of both... In the book, at least, an unnamed protagonist in Surrey and his younger brother in London, as Southern England is invaded by Martians. It is one of the most commented-on works in science fiction canon. Apparently, what does that mean? That's what it says here. (laughs) Um, Wells said that the plot arose from a discussion with his brother Frank about the catastrophic effect on the of the British on indigenous Tasmanians. Wow, what would happen? He wondered if Martians did to Britain what the British had done to Tasmanians. Quite forward-thinking for its time. At the time of publication, it was classified as a scientific romance which was similar to his earlier novel, The Time Machine. Mm. But yes, *World of the Worlds has continued to be popular. It's never been out of print. Um, very influential. It's, it's spawned half a dozen feature films, radio dramas, like you say. Uh, this album, loads of comic books, various TV series, sequels, parallels, stories by other authors. Um, obviously, the 1938 Orson Welles version, which you mentioned. We'll, we'll discuss that another time, I'm sure. Um, the novel has even influenced the work of scientists, it says here. Uh, Robert H. Goddard, who, in, who was inspired by the book, he helped develop both the liquid fueled rocket and multi stage rocket, which resulted in the Apollo 11 moon landing 71 years later. Wow. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. And obviously, we had Steven Spielberg's movie version in 2005 with Under cruise. Underrated. Uh, and the 2019 BBC version, which I've still not seen. Is all right?
0: Don't bother. Ignore it. Don't bother. All right, fair enough.
1: But I'd say this is easily my favourite version of of the adaptation of of the story.
0: How can it not be? It's a rock opera, <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, and yeah, it's a version that's kept audiences riveted.
0: What for years? What is strange, given how popular this this is this is proven, yeah, is often with any any piece of IP, mm-hmm. any great idea, any great story, you'll get comic books yeah. and and novels. And TV shows and films. Yeah. No, one, and no one else has gone. Do you know what? Rock opera does there's no, there's no. There's no Star Wars rock opera. There's no Indiana Jones rock opera. There's no, no. James Bond rock opera.
1: Maybe you need to be like 70, 80 years old before yeah. you can do
0: it. Sherlock Holmes rock opera. Yeah. Why not? Why not?
1: I could see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. Why not?
0: Yeah. A study in rock.
1: So, so in uh, Jeff's version, uh, this story. Um, is focused on the character called the journalist, which is a combination of the two Wells characters. So in this one, he doesn't do both the main guy and his brother. It's just one one character, and he narrates the novel, um, and that's that's the main focus of the, of the of the story. So we'll go for the cast first, so you know a little bit of of who's in it. Um, so the narrator, mm. played by Richard Burton. Wow!
0: So this is the original. This is the actual cast. The original of the, of album, right? Version. Right.
1: I'm not saying. He don't, and by the way, Richard Burton doesn't sing. Don't worry about that. He's just being the narrator, talking, right. Whatever. It's only six years before Richard Burton's death. Oh, um, uh, but an iconic actor, even then, you know, it, for Jeff Wayne to manage to to pin him down is how did Jeff manage it? We will, we will that. But yeah, well very very impressive. But you needed someone with gravitas, gravitas. To, to hold the thing. Yeah, I think if if you if it was like, I know Michael Crawford ended up being a big star. <laughs> But at the time he was just some others do have him. <laughs> if it was if it was Frank Spencer yeah. and like, oh no one would have believed, it wouldn't have worked. No. Um but yeah, he does such a great performance. And I did a piss poor job at the beginning at emulating his intro. Yeah.
0: Um
1: but do you want to hear it now, the what I was I was trying to achieve the with Bert, that?
0: The Burton original.
1: So this is um the beginning of the, the album. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear the first, equally iconic first
0: bars of the first song, which yeah. is called The Eve of the War. You will, you will hear as much of it as we can play without getting sued. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, as this is a music-themed episode, might not have too many long clips in this one. Um, so I might, make, might play you long clips, yeah. but when I come to editing, <laughs> it might be drastically uh, taken back a bit. But anyway, here we go. Here's the intro to All the Worlds.
2: regarded this earth with envious eyes, and slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. Oh.
0: Come on. This is pretty good. What a start. It's pretty good. Strong. <laughs> Disco funk. Do
1: you know what this feels like? Do you know those um, uh, videos where there's people reacting to yeah. to songs? And you, you see like young, well, not even always young people, but it's people like seeing Queen's yep. Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time. Like, I don't believe you.
0: I don't believe this is the first time you ever seen it. Yeah, but is this, this, is, this, is this is, really the first time you've seen uh, Phil Collins Against All Odds? Yeah, this, is, this yeah. is
1: great. I'm seeing someone experience War of the Worlds for the first time. I can't
0: believe you've never heard this. I, do you know what? That when that music kicked in, you know that. Bit. I, I, bum, think, bum, I think I think I, ha, I think I have heard it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but that was that was really yeah. You were riveted. atmospheric. Yeah. <laughs> I was. It was an atmospheric opening, right? Yeah. But my problem, <laughs> generally with musicals, this is why I don't like musicals. Yeah. Is the transition mm. from it's why I think I'm I'm more on board with Les Mis right. because they're singing all, singing the, all the way singing through. all the way through. What I don't like is when they're like they're on stage and they're like. Barry, what are you up to? Buying some, yeah. buying some cheese. Buying some cheese, buying some cheese, buying some cheese, buying some cheese, I'm buying some cheese. And then and then he starts singing a song about how he's buying yeah. some cheese. I'm buying the it cheese. Somehow doesn't, I'm buying the I cheese. Think the, I think that's what the I can't. Weird can't thing about this. I can't never, hack it. It never feels like a musical. But is there not a moment where some guy's like, the Martians are invading? The Martians. The Martians
1: No, the Martians it's never are invading. It's never all the songs, it's yeah. so crazily done. <laughs> the songs are never. Cheesy. Yeah. It's always quite a serious theme the whole way through. Um, Richard Burton never sings. He's always like talking over the tracks and stuff.
0: He's never yeah. just silent. Talking like, over, like, what, like Mike Skinner talking yeah. over the and tracks. I love it, yeah.
1: And then the other characters will talk and then they'll start singing the yeah. singers that they've got, which I'll get onto in a minute. But um, it's all done in. You really just have to listen <laughs> to the album to Just listen it. to it. But trust me, it's not. it never comes across as cheesy. Uh, uh, I don't know how he manages find,
0: it. Yeah, I do find that hard to believe. It, but, it's,
1: but you'll hear a few more songs later, All right, so see what you think. That All was right. great, though. Anyway, Strong start. The sung thoughts of the journalist, so Richard Burton doesn't sing, yeah. but there'll be songs performed that are him, his thoughts, yeah. but it's performed by someone else. It's performed superbly by Justin Hayward, the lead singer of the Moody Blues, who's fantastic and
0: just the right voice for this kind of album. Justin Hayward, the, yeah. the, the main thing I know about Justin Hayward yeah. is that he also performed the theme song uh, to the, the, the short-lived cult <laughs> uh, BBC2 sci-fi series Star Cops. Really? Yeah. Never heard of this in my life. You have, because we talked about it on the podcast before. That shows how, how, how much you take in... Oh, what, did we what, play it as well? I think we... Yeah, let's, let's play it again. All right, an, all-time, okay. an all-time classic, but also tonally completely wrong for what is quite a sort of grounded okay. um, sci-fi show. Great. Great song, great show. The two together don't quite (laughs) gel. Justin, how hard will it be? (laughs) Very good.
2: Nice.
1: Makes it sound like this show is quite romantic, but no.
0: I've never heard this oh. show in my life. You literally, li- we literally talked about it in, really? a, I think, our Blake 7 episode. All yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Well, there you go. Well, yeah, so Justin Hayward's got sci- sci-fi pedigree. Cult credentials. Yes. Yeah, so maybe that's why they hired him for Star Cops, because they knew he'd already <laughs> done such a great job of all of the Worlds. Could well be. Yeah. But yeah, fantastic. Uh, the Artillery Man is played by David Essex. What a guy. Um, so 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 Jeff
0: got him back in after yes, producing his album. Exactly, yes. Da- David, it's like he's like um Danny Ocean yeah. and <laughs> yeah. whatever Brad Pitt's character is called. Yeah. Ru- Was it called Rusty? Yeah, say it's Rusty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're going around like recruiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I need, I need, I'm putting together a team.
1: <laughs> so by this point, David Essex, he'd been a bit of a heartthrob pop star at the early part of the seventies, yeah. but you know he faded a little bit by the end of the decade, but. Um, this brought him back, and he gives a great performance in it. Uh, Pastor Nathaniel, uh, priest, an incredible performance by Thin Lizzie frontman Phil Linnett. like brilliant, like wow. I wish he did more acting because he's really good in this. Um, so he's so he's not just singing. He's no, he's, yeah, he's, like most of yeah yeah apart from Justin Hayward, mm. they all act a bit they do some they do some talking bits and then they start singing whatever but yeah he's great really good in it like one of the greatest rock stars of all time he's, he's great um and beth his wife is played by singer julie covington who's best known for the original Avita album oh yeah she's brilliant too Avita's is kind of similar actually that started life as an album i think and then it turned into a stage musical and all that kind of stuff um but yeah we'll get on to the facts of the castings and stuff later i just want you to know who was in it um so should we go from uh, the plot of this version of all the worlds, you know, you like a drunken plot. Uh, oh, I, I, yeah, I've, with I, with burstings of songs here and there. <laughs> well, you're going to sing. I'm not going to sing. Oh, this no. yeah, fine. No. So we'll start with side one. Yeah. Um, of the original vinyl. Uh, well, actually, side one and side two. There's two. There's two vinyls. So this is so there's two. Jesus. There's two records. Right. This is so, side one and side two. I'm doing for uh, LP one. LP one. Side, side one. one and we'll do side one and side two at the same time. Jesus. <laughs> So, in 1898, there is a sighting of several bursts of green gas, which for ten consecutive nights erupt from the surface of Mars and appear to approach Earth. Okay, how, how can you see that? He's uh, got really great telescopes. In the, I guess. In the 1890s, on right? yeah, yeah. Uh, Ogilvy, an astronomer convinced that no life could exist on Mars, assures the journalist that there is no danger. Okay, yeah, you must know the lyrics of uh, the main
0: song from this. <laughs> what? <laughs> there is there is no danger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you'll know there, is, you'll there know. is no danger no danger no danger there's it's no danger it's not that sort of musical
0: mm.
2: and that's how it was for the next ten nights a flare spurting out from Mars bright green sounds like Vincent Price doing Thriller a little bit yeah. a beautiful but somehow disturbing sight Ogilvy, the astronomer, assured me we were in no danger. He was convinced there could be no living thing on that remote, forbidding planet. The chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. The chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one. But still...
0: Come on. I, you know, I can't fault I can't it. I can't believe you've never heard this. It it's, 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 couldn't be more up your street. It's, what a banger, that one. I know, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. They did release a single version of that yeah, and it was a hit single. Yeah, that is uh, that yeah. is, that is strong. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I already, I'm already, i feeling myself being turned annoyingly. <laughs> it's just so good. That was, that was great. Uh,
1: eventually, something crashes onto Horsall Common and in the resulting crater, Ogilvy discovers a glowing cylinder, the top of which begins to unscrew. When this lid falls off, a Martian creature emerges. By now, a crowd has gathered on the common, and when a group of inquisitive men approaches the cylinder, they are incinerated by the heat ray, an advanced Martian weapon. The journalist flees with the crowd. Later, hammering sounds are heard from the pit. A company of soldiers are deployed at the common, and that evening are injured... Hang on. And that evening, an injured and exhausted artillery man wanders into the journalist's house and tells him his comrades have been killed by fighting machines, tripod vehicles built and controlled by Martians, each armed with its own heat ray. Is set off for London. The journalist, to ensure that his lover, Carrie, is safe, the artillery man to return to headquarters, but they are soon caught in a crossfire between soldiers and Martians and they are separated. Three days later, the journalist arrives at Carrie's house but finds it empty. Is this all being sung or...? Um, A lot of it is just Richard Burton explaining the plot. Right in his uh, gravitas. Do you know it's one of those things? But if someone else did it, you'd yeah. be like, oh, "It's a bit boring." Yeah, because yeah, it's you like, "Ah, oh, yeah." I listen to anything he's saying. His,
0: his voice vibrating it's with pure so sex. So good. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's pure sex. Yeah. So cue perhaps the album's greatest song. Oh, better than that last one because I put the last say one. So, because right. this is the only song on the album I'd say which um could have existed on its own. Yeah, and it kind of did already. Technically, oh, um, it was this. It's the stunning ballad called "Forever Autumn." Mm. Could that be more my kind of thing? Ah. Uh, Samba Haywood, not ballads though. It is a ballad. Um, it's. It, I'd say it's almost too pretty to be on a sci-fi concept album. I. Th- I think you'll know this.
0: All right, we'll see. When you play it. We'll
1: see. Um, but yeah, this is this is uh, the journalist. Just I can't believe Carrie's. Where is she? What's going on? So he's all. He's all sad. But anyway, here we go. Getting a bit moody on two Easty beers. Late Night Love song with we two weeks. to do The
2: summer sun is fading as the year grows old It's
1: a bit of Simon and Garfunkel. It is a bit, yeah.
2: And darker days are drawing
1: near We're, we're, we're doing on this via a YouTube thing which has made it seem like it's a Moody Blues song. I bet the Moody Blues guys go, like, it's nothing to do with us. Ridiculous.
0: Colder. Now you're not here
1: a little idea of that beautiful nice. song, yeah. very nice. Yeah, that was a hit single as well. That was uh, released with Justin Hayward. Always credited to Justin Hayward. Well, technically, I'd say it was Jeff Wayne featuring Justin Hayward, but there you go. <laughs> anyway,
0: these um, these is it would be. Yeah, like oh, it's always
1: it's Mark Ronson, Cardi B. Feet. Yeah, imagine that, Jeff Wayne feat Cardi B. <laughs> Uh, he resolves to escape London by boats and later catches sight of Carrie aboard a steamer, but the gangplank is raised before he can join her. Not the machi- gangplank. fighting machines then approach, threatening the steamer, but they are engaged by the Royal Navy battleship Thunderchild, and the, and two of the uh, Martian things are destroyed. Martian things, that's what we're going to call it now. The steamer escapes, but Thunderchild and her crew are destroyed by the Martian heat rays, leaving England defenceless against the invasion. Oh, and all of this is still we're still on yeah, yeah. LP one side one oh yeah yeah Jesus yeah. this well it might be side two by now but anyway so this whole bit is soundtracked by this excellent song called Thunder Child, sung by Chris Thompson under the name the Vo- the voice of humanity, right yeah now Chris was the lead singer of Manfred Mann's Earth Band, um, among many other bands and solo projects. He's one of those just great underrated singers of his of his era, and it's it's a really really good. Um, disco rock song is the only way you can describe it um, should, have, should have been a hit single that it wasn't but never mind anyway it's a little burst of thunder child Ooh-la. oh yeah la! are the uh, the alien machines they sing too oh they sing in a bit
2: the began to move slowly away but on the landward horizon appeared the silhouette of a fighting machine another came and another striding over hills and trees, plunging far out to sea and blocking the exit of the steamer. Between them lay the silent, gray, ironclad, Thunderchild. Slowly it moved toward shore, then with a deafening roar and whoosh of spray, it swung about and drove at full speed towards the waiting Martian. There were ships of shapes and sizes scattered out along the bay. And I thought I heard her calling As the steamer pulled away The invaders must have seen them the across the coast they piled Standing from between them
0: They're a the child oh, yeah. Every single one of these songs... Sounds like it should be uh, like a, a song on a, on a soundtrack to an 80s action movie. Yeah. Where, where the hero's um, on a motorbike, his hair <laughs> magnificently blowing in the wind. Yeah, Thunderchild. Yeah. And, uh, before it's time. Before it's time.
1: Uh, on to side three and four now. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, I'm doing it no justice well this is very quick I hadn't hadn't gathered okay Uh, the wandering journalist discovers that red weed the vegetation that gives Mars its colour has taken root on Earth and spread rapidly across the landscape in a churchyard he encounters the parson Nathaniel and his wife Beth the trio take refuge in a nearby cottage that is soon surrounded by black smoke a Martian chemical weapon Nathaniel, driven mad by his horrific experiences of the Martian attacks, blames himself for the invasion and believes the invaders and demons are arising from human evil. So this is uh, Phil Linnet's... Is it Linnet or Linnet? I always say Linnet, but I might have got it wrong. Thin Lizzy Man's arrival. All right. Um, I won't play too much of it or we'll get sued um, because it's like a nine-minute song and I can't really give you the full benefit of the amazing song that it is. But here's a little taste of his performance in general. So, there you go.
2: I suddenly noticed the body of a parson lying on the ground in a ruined churchyard. I felt unable to leave him to the mercy of the red weed and decided to bury him decently. The, the, the parson's eyes flickered open. He was alive. Touch me, But it's me, Beth, your wife. No, you're one of them, a devil. He's delirious. Lies, I saw the devil's sign. What are you saying? The green flash in the sky. His demons were here all along, in our hearts and souls, just waiting for a sign from him. And now they're destroying our world. But they're not devils, they're Martians. We must leave here. Look, the house still standing, come with them, quickly. We took shelter in a cottage and black smoke spread, hemming us in. Then the fighting machine came across the field, spraying jets of steam that turned the smoke into thick, black dust.
1: Wow. Performance. Yeah. performance. It's, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Didn't hear him singing there, but you get the gist. As Beth attempts to restore his faith in humanity, a Martian cylinder crashes into the cottage and she is buried under the rubble. Not Beth. Yeah. The newly arrived uh, Martians construct a handling machine, a squat spider-like vehicle used to capture and collect humans. So the Tom Cruise version very much did this whole bit, didn't it? When they were, yeah. And Tim Robbins Tim stuck Robbins. in that, uh, that um, house and they were searching for them. Yeah. Sort of like that film. A sort of like that film. Tom Cruise has a very good performance in it, but yep. he's uh, is ruined by the dreadful children that I don't give a crap about. Just sh- go away. Don't care. Screaming. Anyway. <sighs> After nine days hiding in the ruins, the journalist and Nathaniel see the Martians eating or harvesting human blood and injecting it into their own veins. Nathaniel resolves to confront the demons, believing that he has been chosen to destroy them with his prayers and the Holy Cross. Sad man. Uh, the journalist knocks him unconscious to silence his ravings, but the Martians are already alerted, and Mechanical Claw explores the cottage and drags him away. Eventually, the Martians abandon their camp, and the journalist continues his journey to London. He again encounters the artilleryman, who is planning a new life underground that would allow humans to evade the Martians and ultimately strike back with reverse-engineered fighting machines. The journalist, however, realising the artilleryman's ambitions far exceed his abilities, soon leaves now... This is David Essex. time to shine, okay? So, right. So he's come back with his a brilliant song, "Brave New World." Now, with this song, um, actually, again, I won't be able to. Again, it's like twelve minutes long. I can't really. Play Why is the song so long? Well, it's a concept album. Get, it's, a, it's a prog rock album, essentially. Uh, got to, <laughs> don't get, don't what's get, worse, rock
0: opera or prog rock? Prog rock opera, <laughs> which is what this, <laughs> is. What this although, is. Although, although yeah. I have to say, like, it's hard to dislike anything this funky. <laughs> it's funky. It's but disco. It's disco. It's, it's disco beat. It, it, it is, but. Yeah, 12, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's four songs. You could, you could, do, you could do four songs in that, that is time. True.
1: But this song, um, did you ever at school?
0: Yeah,
1: have like dance classes? <laughs> it was sort of PE. What
0: kind of school. Did, what? What kind of school did well, you go to? Well,
1: it was no. Just every now and then they they make PE a thing where you we had to do like dance routines and do a whole big number. What? And there was one teacher who did a dance number to this. So they took Brave New World, which I already knew because my dad had the record. Yeah. I think I was the only kid in school who knew what this was. Yeah. So we're done, having to do these dance routines of being like um like act it out essentially to David Essex singing Brave New World. Can you can you remember your moves? The only bit I remember is when he... You won't hear it here because it's too long, but he says
0: the word madness at
1: one mm. point and we had to like hold our heads and then right. go round so, and round.
0: So you can't obviously see that, listeners. Yeah. Tom's sort of doing the kind of um, steps tragedy yeah. move. Steps with it, it, very <laughs> much inspired. With his hands himself. at his head. Yeah. Back and forth. But
1: I still love this song, yeah. but I still have a little bit of a tainted memory of having to act this out. And uh, uh, yeah, very strange. Who, whose idea that was, I don't know. But anyway... Just imagine a young me having
0: to dance to this. Listeners, if any of you, as part of PE, yeah, had to learn a dance Yeah, routine, did you ever have dance at I, PE? Because it, when someone we, must. Have. We, but when we have these odd sort of like culture clash moments, where I'm like, um, uh, who, who's the weirdo here? Is, yeah. it, is it me for having never done that, or is yeah. it, or is it you for having done? Because this wasn't extra curriculum. This was, this was mandated extra curriculum. Yeah. What did I just say? No extra curriculum. Yeah. What did, what did I mean? Extra curricular.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's 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 similar, <laughs> but. It's the sour, I'm telling you. Anyway, here's The Birth of David Essex.
2: Who goes there? Uh, A friend. Be on your way! This is my territory. Your territory? What do you mean? Wait a minute. It's you, the man from Maybury Hill. Good heavens, the artillery man. I thought you surely burned... I thought you surely drowned. They don't bother with names in this. Just Everywhere, we're done for all right. Can't just give up. Of course we can't. It's now we've got to start fighting. Not against them, because we can't win. Now we've got to fight for survival. I reckon we can make it. I've got a plan.
1: Just imagine dancing to this. (laughs) Or imagine you dancing to this.
2: In us and we're dead right so we gotta make a new life where they'll never find us you know where underground you should see it down there hundreds of miles of drains what? sweet and clean now after the rain God.
1: Yeah, he's, Essex, he's, Essex is off his nut. Yeah, He's off his. Yeah, he's, he doesn't. Richard knows
0: he's Starts he's he's, he's lost his right. right, this isn't this isn't supposed to be a good plan. No. It's no,
2: bad no. About living underground, eh? Richard, not been so great living up here. If you want my opinion.
1: My favourite line in the whole show. <laughs> uh, it's not so great down up there. If you want my opinion. All right, all right, David.
2: Take anyway. a look around you.
1: Anyway, starts singing. and goes on for 12 minutes. Anyway, it's a really good song. Trust me. <laughs> um, so upon reaching London, he finds a city desolate and empty. Driven to suicide by intense despair and loneliness, he surrenders to a fighting machine but realises it is inert. The Martian inside is dead. I don't think I'd ever use the word inert if I'm not reading it from somewhere else. No. No. Um, in the first epilogue, the journalist reports that the Martians were defeated by Earth's bacteria uh, to which they had no resistance and that as humanity recovered from the invasion he was reunited with Carrie so I remember that happening in the film obviously it's in the book yeah, as well but yeah. in the film version they just it was um, what was it they took them down it was like got the common cold the cold yeah Yeah. the common cold it just felt felt clever yeah. but it also felt a bit of a cheap end I always thought
0: of all the worlds we'll t- take it up with HG Wells <laughs> like <laughs> should, I just, should I go to his, uh, his yeah, estate go to, go? yeah lazy do you know what lazy Rubbish, come up with an end. Rubbish. It's like no, it, bloody it's, Game of Thrones all over again. It's famous, famously got 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 a rubbish. It's it's sort of clever. But hmm. you go, oh, the last thing you'd expect. But there's also, There's no battle. There's no victory. But also, I like, yeah. I like that for one thing. You know, you're for a good time when a story has epilogue number one. Yeah. Oh, great, the first the first epilogue of many. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also the fact that that's not even part of the main story. No. He just gets there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Martians are dead. Don't worry about it. Yeah. at The end. What? Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like oh, oh no. Um, it, it almost felt like he sort of he he, he filed that, yeah. and was like, "That's the end of the story." You know, Cosmo, print that, and yeah. they're like, "Well, you have to explain why." Yeah. And he's like, "Uh, bacteria. <laughs> yep, H H G. Get yeah, out. That was like get it. out." He's true. like, "No, wait, I've got more epilogues. <laughs> <laughs> I can." He just kept <laughs> going, Coming going, out kept, my arm, kept writing epilogues until he got there.
1: Uh. But the journalist goes, the question remains, is Earth now safe or are the Martians learning from their failures in preparing for a second invasion?
0: Could this be a sequel? Oh. I mean, no, there was never a sequel. <laughs> no, there wasn't.
1: Um, in the second epilogue, uh, 80 years later, a NASA mission to Mars flounders when the control centre from Pasadena loses contact
0: with the unmanned spacecraft. Do you know what that is? What's that? That's like the first ever post credit scene. It is, you're right because that's that's what would happen now is it's like oh 60 years later they go back it was
1: both a bonus track and a post credit scene well let's have a little listen to that this is how the album ends by the
2: way it's going good we're getting great pictures here at NASA control Pasadena the landing craft touched down on Mars 28 kilometers from the aim point we're looking at a remarkable landscape littered with different kinds of rocks. Red, purple. How about that, Bermuda? Fantastic. Look at that dune field. And wait, I'm getting a no-go signal.
0: This is what NASA sounds like. They sound like they're stoned. Hey, how about that? Yeah, great. It's like a bunch of pals hanging out. Where's the professionalism?
2: I lost the second craft. We got problems. All contact lost, Pasadena. Maybe the antenna... What's that flare? You see it? A green flare coming from Mars. Kind of a green mist behind it. It's getting closer. Do no one
0: sort of make it, take notes the first time? <laughs> yeah. What's that green mist? Come in, Bermuda. <laughs> We've done this. <laughs> it was like the biggest story of mankind's history. Yeah.
2: What's going on? Tracking station 43, Canberra. Come in, Canberra. 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 Tracking station 63. Can you hear me, Madrid? Canberra.
1: Come in, come in. Yeah, so I like the idea that they were like, "That's obviously the present day" at that point. Yeah. when the album came out. Oh, they're coming back. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he was planning a sequel. Don't think he was, but it's just a yeah. 'Cause it couldn't have gone better really the album. We'll get onto this. Could could have could so have chopped it. Could have done a second album wanted yeah. to do. But anyway. Didn't have any H. Uh, G. Wells to ask him what the plot was.
0: No. Difficult second album.
1: So should we look at the uh, That was a that was a very quick burst of I, I haven't given it justice, but I needed to hear you know, you need to know the plot, you need to yeah. hear a bit of the song. Yeah, yeah. But just listen to the album. Uh, all right. Start to finish. Yeah. I. Uh, you in particular, you all you all love this. <laughs> okay. Very good. It's like right. it's like all the best bits of the late 70s. How long is it total? I mean, it's 90 minutes. Really? Oh,
0: really? Oh, okay. It's an hour and a half. 90 minutes? So they, got, they must have about like six songs. Wow. Yeah, give a take. Oh, all right. Oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> 90 minutes, a good length. Yes. Yeah, take note,
1: Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. So, the album came about when uh, Jeff Wayne was touring with David Essex, for whom he also worked as his producer and musical director. Wayne felt that the comprising side of his... Hang on, that's the wrong word. (laughs) Wayne felt that the... Well... Fuck me. Wells. Wayne felt that the composing side of his career had diminished by this time and started looking for a story to get passionate about and interpret musically, to which his father Jerry suggested that the science fiction novel War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells might be a good place to start.
0: So J- Jerry is... Jerry knows what was, you're doing. I was going to say to blame, but <laughs> what I mean is the yeah. credit lies really with with Jerry. Yeah. Set Jeff on, on the path.
1: The story instantly caught Jeff's imagination and he finished the book in a single read. He later said that the musical adaptation of other books was possible and he... Thought about being, imp- he was impressed by uh, stories like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, and Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. However, Wayne w- went on to read Wells's book three or four times, and when he saw the 1953 film adaptation, he decided it was the most suitable one for a musical adaptation. So, do you think Brave New World, the song,
0: is a little nod? Yes, to you're Huxley. probably right. Yeah. You're probably right.
1: In January 1975, Jeff and his father acquired the rights to adapt the work from Wells' estate. Is right. Is. So is Jerry just like money back? I think he must be. You can't just walk up to HG no, Wells' estate and go, no. Can I make a musical version? No, the fuck are you? David Essex's producer, David Essex. What, well, the guy did Gonna Make You a Star in 1972. No.
0: <laughs> fuck yeah. off. It feels like it feels like Jerry was was uh f- yeah. yeah, funding this this passion.
1: Well, project. at the time, uh the estate was run by HG Wells' son, Frank. So f- Frank was Frank Wells. still around and Frank Frank Wells. <laughs> Uh, Wayne spent three months locating Frank Wells down um, and found his ideas were well-received because it was the first adaptation that stayed true to the story. So I feel like there'd been adaptations like the film and stuff and the but what they, Orson Welles version. what they'd
0: all missed out was all the singing. All the disco but, funk. Yeah, all the disco funk yeah. that H.G. Wells had intended.
1: <laughs> uh, Jeff Wayne was aware of the famous 1938 radio drama um, directed by Orson Welles, but he wanted to stay close to the original story and set his version in Victorian England. Because so I think, yeah, Orson Welles' version was in America at the time yeah. wasn't it um, from the start Jeff saw his adaptation as an opera with story le motifs musical phrases sounds and composition that relate to the whole story uh, Jeff started by organising a cast of characters while having the book adapted to fit the content of the songs he had outlined for it by Doreen Wayne his future stepmother who at the time was an established scriptwriter and journalist that helped as well didn't it yeah. but I assume Jerry's at the time girlfriend yeah who became his stepmother later. Nepotism. Um, Yeah. Uh, Jeff used artistic license to create a love interest by replacing the journalist's brother for Carrie, his wife. At the same time, Jeff wanted to write the score and recorded demos in the studio, paying particular attention to how Wells originally wrote the story as a series of episodes with multiple cliffhangers to each chapter. So when it was the Cosmo thing. When it was in Cosmo, yeah. uh, He did it in little bits. Serialized. That's how you do it. Yeah. That's how he did it with the songs as well. The disco influences on the eve of the war, that first song you heard, was uh, Wayne's intention of wanting the album to be entertaining for people. Um, Yeah, so he wanted that disco. Disco was big at the time. He didn't want it to be classical or like, you know,
0: it could have been, couldn't it? He could have just done it like a a straight... classic opera. Thing, yeah. yeah. You feel feel like if he'd done this like 10 years later, it would have been like the rap. yeah. Yeah. The rap version of War of the World. But it's
1: weird because you'd think that would date it, but somehow, I mean, it does, but not in a bad way. It still yeah. sounds great. It yeah. doesn't sound like, if he had done this in the late 80s, where it was very, that high energy sort of disco, not disco, yeah. like club rave anthems, yeah. it would just sound so dated. Now. I, would li- I would like to hear that too, though. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, rave rave anthems. Mixed by the Shaman. <laughs> um, Forever Autumn, as I say, was a single, but originally, this I had no idea about this until I researched this episode. Now, Forever Autumn is one of my all-time favourite songs. Right? Wow. And I didn't know this was a thing. So um, it was originally a jingle for a Lego commercial sung by Gary Osborne and Paul Vigross, who worked with Jeff Wayne on it. Um So in the story, upon learning that the journalist discovers that his fiancee is missing, it reminded him, Jeff, of this Lego tune that he worked on. Um and he sort of went, Do you know what? I'm gonna put some lyrics to that. Why why was there such a sort of Romantic touching, well, touching song about Lego. So I found a YouTube video, yeah. which is apparently the 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 commercial that was yeah. used on the radio as well. Yeah, apparently it doesn't make any sense. Radio. It, 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 well, there must be a full length version out there because I can't find one because yeah. it doesn't in any way it doesn't say the word Lego. It's just a nice piece of music, right? But anyway, um, so this was the original version of it. You heard a little burst of it earlier, but uh, for you listeners at home who love Forever Autumn, you're going to be. Your mind's gonna be blown by this. So this is where it originally came from Forever Lego. <laughs> <So> from 1969. <laughs> Lego. I know. I mean, I can't find it. I, I don't think it was a TV commercial. I think it was a radio one. I might be wrong, but I can't. How does that sell Lego?
0: That makes me want to just chill the fuck out. I know. And put build some Lego.
1: Anyway, um, uh, Vigrass and Osborne had added uh, lyrics to the song back in 72 for their album Q. So they actually wrote the lyrics to Forever Autumn. Jeff then took it, adapted it slightly, then got Justin Hayward to sing it, and there you go. Um,
0: Magic was made.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Uh, So Jeff lived close to Primrose Hill at the time of writing, which is where the Martians come to their demise in the novel. Uh, While walking his dog in the morning, he often sat on top of the hill, which inspired him to envisage what Wills was described Wills, (laughs) Wills, <laughs> what Wells was describing in and in turn his score, which was particularly the case for the track Dead London. So I like the idea that he was just sort of, he just lived in this really lovely bit of London and he was just going to, I'm going to sit where HG sat. And uh, He lived <laughs> in this lovely bit of London and was like, what if the Martians blew up <laughs> yeah. all of this? Yeah, um, everyone. Because uh, Jeff wanted to keep his adaptation set in Victorian England, this eliminated the possibility of hiring American people in the cast. Uh, In the early stages, he realised the importance of finding the right person to narrate the story. And actor Richard Burton was at the top of his very short list of candidates and uh, compared his voice to a musical instrument. Annoyingly, I don't think he's said who else was on his list, which is a shame. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because who was around in the late 70s would have been great. as a a, like David Niven? Is he still around at that point? Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. (laughs) Charlton Heston. (laughs)
0: It would have great. The artillery man. <laughs> what about um Al Pacino? get your stinking paws <laughs> off me, you damn dirty Martians. Very good. Alpuccino. Like uh Al, Pacino. Oh, Al Pacino, He would have been like, uh, <laughs> oh, you want us to live underground. <laughs> uh,
1: and of course James Stewart oh, is the
0: Gimme give gimme give feed me well, a line from uh, from all the worlds.
1: Um slowly and surely they drew their plans against us.
0: Oh, uh, well, uh, sh- uh, slowly, slowly, but, uh, but, but surely, uh, they, they, what, what was it? <laughs> they drew their plan. They, uh, they, they drew their plan against us, uh, slowly, but surely. What about Sean Connery? <clears throat> You're just trying to trip me up now. <laughs> yeah. sh- sh- slowly, but surely, they, uh, are. <laughs> they drew their plans against us. There we go. That's, That's very hard. Good. That's, That's very very hard. Very good. Roger Moore? Uh, slowly but surely they uh they drew their plans against us. If it was Hopkins so, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to Hopkins. I'm not going to Hopkins.
1: <laughs> slowly but surely they drew their plans
2: against us.
0: <laughs> if it was if it was Hopkins uh slowly but surely they
2: they drew their plans against us. Mr. Fryer. <laughs> uh,
0: who else is around
1: <sighs> Mar- Marlon Brando?
0: you did the whole face and everything. Slowly but surely. You have drawn your plans against me on the day of my daughter's wedding. How, how have you not done her second career as an impressionist? This is really good. <laughs> Everyone's listening to this being like, this, oh, this, is, this is terrible. Very good. Absolutely terrible.
1: terrible.
0: Um, that's probably enough. Kermit <laughs> <laughs> the Frog? I can't do I Can't do Kermit. <laughs> All right, fair enough.
1: Oh, that was brilliant. Uh, anyway... Uh, so upon learning that Burton was in a production of the play Equus in New York City, Jeff delivered a letter with a copy of the album's script to the stage doorman and hoped for him to read it. After two or three days, Burton agreed to take part in the in the thing. He had already committed to start work on The Exorcist II, The Heretic, in Los Angeles. After
0: oh, the lucky run. escape.
1: Uh, so Jeff organised to record the narration there to avoid further delays. Um, Burton originally signed on for five days of recording for a maximum of 12 hours for each, but he finished his parts in just one, except wow. for an additional three-hour session held several months after, which was just what he called some repair work. So just great. Just did, Nailed it. Just
0: did it. One take, Burton. Uh,
1: David Essex, who was present at the recording session, said that Burton insisted to narrate without hearing the music, which became a bit of a nuisance since Jeff uh, and he had recorded their shared vocals in time with the background tracks so they said they had to do it wild whatever that means so, <gasps> fuck it fuck yeah. it we'll do it wild <laughs> it's the idea that Burton was like no I don't want to hear it I bet he never listened to it <laughs> no 100%
0: didn't listen
1: to it <laughs> probably, probably one of his best things he ever did he never listened to it yeah Not but this,
0: this is this is funnily enough this is like Orson Welles doing Transformers the movie yeah. one of his all time greatest films yeah. but he, he won't know no nah, no nah. Um, it was important for Jeff that the different voices on the album sounded
1: convincing and believable having become a good friend of Wayne's Essex was the voice of the artilleryman. man it previously st- previously starred in a production of the musical Godspell which also featured Julie Covington um, although Wayne had not previously met the other voice actors Phil Linnett Justin Hayward, or Chris Thompson he was thrilled they took part because they each brought their own sort of magic style and performance to their singing and I agree with that <laughs> I agree with all that. <laughs> uh, Wayne thought that Hayward was the right singer for Forever Autumn and sent him a demo with the invitation to participate but Hayward was unconvinced. He changed his mind when a young lad, an employee of the Moody Blues record shop in Cobham, heard the demo and told Hayward it was an ideal song for him. So I love the idea. He was like, nah, I'm right. Oh Nah. Yeah. Um, uh, Lynette was on a Canadian tour with Thin Lizzy when it was time to record his parts so Wayne organised for his vocals recorded there um, initially Jeff had Carlos Santana record guitar riffs and hooks to interpret it Mar- Martian's heat ray which sounds Aww. amazing
0: why Why would you I know. cut Santana how dare you
1: uh, well his involvement ended after one day when Santana's manager spotted an issue with the contract and certain requests could not be met which is such a shame so Aww. he did do stuff yeah. but it was contractual problems which <gasps> that's such a shame I'd love to have heard what that would have sounded like they must have it somewhere. They must have recorded it somewhere. Yeah. Uh the role of Parson Nathaniel was originally given to free and bad company singer and future Queen singer Paul Rogers. Um, although uh Wayne thought he delivered fantastic vocals, Rogers was reluctant to take on the speaking part and dropped out. So Paul Rogers did all these great singing. Could they not have got someone else in, like for Richard <laughs> yeah, Bur- the, the, yeah, the 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 sung thoughts of yeah. the Parson Nathaniel. <laughs> I think they're too close together, wouldn't it yeah, work? Yeah. Um so, so he 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 dropped out. Um, he apparently Jeff Wayne still has all these recordings but he has no interest in releasing them why why Jeff do do special edition yeah. you can keep selling it you can still milk this for all it's worth the Paul Rogers edition yeah the Paul Rogers and Santana edition <laughs> great also the Who frontman Roger Daltrey was also to make appearance uh, but he turned it down And, and <laughs> I love I love that, that, you, te- that the you, you teased that as
0: Sliders villain <laughs> uh, um, of course as he's best known for playing uh, a villain in, in Sliders one of my favourite quotes in
1: Two Geeks history is you going, Roger, Roger Daltrey. Daltrey,
0: Roger Daltrey. <laughs> they, wanted Alan, they wanted Alan Rickman. They got Roger Daltrey.
1: So Jeff Wayne's original budget estimate for the album was £34,500, which quite a lot of money. Well, still is, but back then, very, very big amount of money. Later, he secured a £70,000 recording deal with uh, Dick Escher of CBS Records during an American tour with David Essex. Initially, the deal involved a single album of thematic pieces and without any guest artists, but his idea for the album had grown to produce a full-scale musical adaptation which could which wouldn't fit on one record and the idea expanded into this whole double album. So CBS agreed to fund an additional £34,500 to cover part of Mainly Richard Burton's fees, <laughs> um, although his contract with CBS did not guarantee a public release. Uh, Jeff Wayne consulted his wife and parents, who encouraged him to continue and finish the album despite the substantial costs. Um, and when the album was finished, the cost totaled two hundred and forty thousand pounds, half of which was paid by CBS. So, again, how did they? How did he manage to not only convince Richard Burton to do this, but he convinced the record company? Look, did you love David Essex's album? <laughs> Haven't, who's David Essex <laughs> he he was like a really big star in the early 70s I, I don't know who, I don't know what you're talking about anyway yeah. I, do you know A War of the Worlds or that early that novel from Cosmo back in the <laughs> early uh, no, the late no- I, my, <laughs> I think, I think my, my girlfriend
0: read it I think a <laughs> while back
1: yeah so that yeah do you know Rocky Horror <laughs> combine the two uh, I, I, okay I don't know what you're talking about
0: yeah
1: I want to do a double album and I want to get Richard Burton involved and loads of other actors and singers yeah and
0: release it. And the guy from Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Get him on board.
1: Uh, and I want it to... How much is it going to cost? Oh,
0: like, quarter of a million? <laughs> <laughs> the balls. The balls on Jeff Wayne. I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah. and, they were, and they were like, okay, I guess. Oh, um, one more stipulation. Yeah, want my fucking name right, right <laughs> at the top. So, so like, oh, yeah. so sort of um, War of the Worlds... By, by Jeff Wayne. No, before before even War of the Worlds, <laughs> I'm the brand. <laughs> Jeff Wayne's War of Jeff the Worlds. Jeff Wayne's musical version of yeah, War of the Worlds. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, what's this? Uh, what's this vinyl? Um, it a double vinyl. Um, War of the Worlds uh, oh I didn't realise it was Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds now I'm definitely now I'm definitely going to buy it
1: <laughs> but it works because all these years later you remember it as Jeff Wayne's Jeff War of the Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Wayne was too chicken he <laughs> we, said, should, to,
0: we should do a compilation of every time we've said Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Wayne, Wayne. In, this, uh, in this episode he said he was too chicken
1: to deliver the finished product to CBS himself so he had his future wife Geraldine then an assistant to the label's business affairs director to hand it in uh, after reviewing the album for 30 days imagine that Imagine having to imagine being Jeff Wayne in that position where you've spent all that money yeah. and all that everyone's time and effort to make this album and they took a month to finally get
0: back to you. That wasn't just how long it took them to listen to the whole I mean, thing to start to yeah, finish. True, yeah. 9 12 minute songs.
1: But CBS praised its strong story, songs, guest artists and uniqueness, <laughs> but doubted if people were willing to listen to a double album of continuous material and believed its chance of success would suffer with Wayne, an American, producing an adaptation of an English novel. He's a
0: naturalised British citizen. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now.
1: <laughs> However, the label was unaware that Wayne had also produced an alternate version of the album with the songs reduced to three or four minutes and with new introductions and endings. Can I listen to that one? <laughs> making it easier, well, to get the album on the radio. So he'd made, he'd, he knew what he was doing. He'd made David S's Radio album, edits. He knew what he was doing. So he yeah. did radio edits of the big songs <laughs> yeah. to give to the radio students for them to play. Yeah um and later when a few years later they released like um the highlights album of all the worlds where it's just like the single edit so you maybe you might like that one <laughs> that's like a, yeah the,
0: the, the, get, a get, get me version. get me started on that i love that jeff Wayne's it's my gateway drug
1: musical what was it called it has like a full yeah called highlights from jeff Wayne's musical version of the war of the worlds released in 1981 so maybe that's your maybe that's your bag it's only nine tracks and it's only 47 minutes that one so maybe you'll the uh, okay. give that a burst so Wayne agreed to give CBS another month to decide. So two months they took. Whoa. After which its UK division finally gave it the green light for release. But after all that, you go, release it. You've already spent the money. Exactly. There's no point going, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine after all that. They were like, nah, I won't bother. But yeah, that's a definite waste <laughs> of money though. At least try <laughs> yeah. and it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... It's also known for its fantastic artwork. You have seen you have seen bits on the the clips we were playing earlier. Yeah. But um, if you're a big fan
0: of All the World's the album, you know it's famous front cover. When you put out the call on uh, on yeah. on social media, yeah. got got some praise for the yeah. the artwork. Absolutely.
1: Um, he originally Jeff Wayne commissioned Roger Dean best known for his work for the rock band Yes, another prog rock legends, um, to produce the artwork. After Dean produced some designs, he felt that the work didn't quite fit what he had in mind and proceeded to look elsewhere, so he approached John Pash.
0: It was more, uh, more no than yes. <laughs> Very good. On that occasion.
1: He went on to design the logo of the front cover and uh, to direct the overall design of the record sleeve, which features paintings from three artists, Jeff Taylor, Mike Trim, and Peter Goodfellow. So Roger Dean, the guy who was originally brought in, he went, do you know what? If you if you don't want it, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it for the packaging of the 1987 shooting video game Terrapods. All right. So I like that in the end it was used. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Um, the album premiered at a launch party at the London Planetarium on the 1st of June 1978 and featured a playback accompanied by a laser show. Ooh, Brilliant. That'd be great. It was attended by over 500 people. It was released on the 9th of June a week later. No, sorry, four weeks later. Heck, that's all right. <laughs> It's only a week later. They they got that wrong. <laughs> the album was released on 9th of June. A week later, uh, and then Wayne said he was able to repay CBS its share of the album's cost due to strong sales. A short time after that, so it's immediately it was immediately yeah, a hit. immediately a success. In September 1978, the album reached its peak position. Only only peaked at number five in the UK albums chart. And it had twenty weeks in a row in the top ten at the time, but it has since been in the UK top hundred albums for over two hundred forty weeks in total. Wow. It sold over two point seven million copies in the UK alone, and in twenty eighteen, it was the UK's thirty second best selling album of all time. So it's in the top forty best selling albums ever in the
0: UK. It, you, uh. <laughs> so, so like this, this is baffling to me. The fact that, so, so I mean, what else have you got in there, like? All three of Adele's albums. Oh yeah, or Beatles. A couple, a couple of Ed Sheeran's. Yeah, um, and Jeff Wayne's War
2: of the Yeah, Worlds. It's right up
0: there. Yeah. yeah,
1: It charted in twenty two countries, reached number one in eleven of them, including Australia, where it was top for seven weeks. It sold an estimated fifteen million copies worldwide. I can't believe it's this popular. I feel like most people of a certain age yeah. will have this album in their possession. I've got the CD and the
0: vinyl at home. Do you not think though, as a, even as a like died in the wall <laughs> fan, that it's <laughs> yeah. odd that yeah. a rock as. Uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed what, those little snippets I heard there. Very f- again, very funky. Yeah, it, very enjoyable. Yeah, but the fact that a rock opera, <laughs> sort of disco infused <laughs> yeah. funky rock opera, yeah. based on a science fiction novel. Yeah, it shouldn't it is, work, one, should is it? one of the greatest selling albums yeah. of all time. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't. It. it shouldn't work. No. Um, the album had. A positive review I'm afraid we need to we need to buck our ideas I, I, am, I am sorry if you're, if you're listening to this
1: <laughs> in uh, record mirror with review Bev Briggs what a great name uh, declaring it four sides of sheer excellence and after reading the novel and feature film the album is the easily the most um, sorry the most easily stomachable of the lot <laughs> that's yeah. feels like damning with faint, faint praise <laughs> yeah she praised the music ideas scripts and voices all of which complement each other but thought the continuous ninety-five minute structure forces the listener to digest it straight through. And yes, you should. It's a prog rock um, concept concept album. album. You've got to yeah. listen to it straight through. You can't just can't just dabble with it. It's like a film. You don't just go. I'm just going to watch ten minutes of this and come back two days later.
0: I suppose you okay. could. Okay. Well, yeah. did she say it was better than the book? Yeah. Well, more. Yeah. yeah. More, more palatable. More palatable. Yeah. Wow. Um, a positive review was published by
1: Ben Ostrander in the science fiction magazine The Space Gamer. Great magazine. Uh, who thought the album was magnificent and despite some differences between the record and the original novel, is a kind of rock radio play <laughs> with modern interpretations. Radio play. A rock radio <laughs> <laughs> and it's And it's better than most crap on TV and makes for a fun evening around the stereo.
0: Wow. Go. <laughs> imagine Imagine that if your parents went... Look, let's turn off the TV <laughs> but and, let's, and let's all have a fun evening <laughs> in front of the around lot. the stereo. We yeah. probably did
2: um,
0: in 2020 for prog
1: magazine. Writer Alex Burrows described the record as the ultimate concept album and best-selling prog soundtrack of all time. Concluding, it's still an album that certainly ticks all the boxes of the true definition of progressive, groundbreaking, cutting edge, and seminal. It is though, like musically, when you listen, if you just listen, if you just put aside an hour and a half, yeah when you've got a house to yourself,
0: yeah. right?
1: sit there in your chair, put this on yeah. in your headphones yeah. and just, just, just take
0: it. Immerse yourself. Just
1: let it wash over you. Pretend yeah. you back in the 70s when you didn't have all these distractions. Just listen to Wait, it. So we, we weren't around in the 70s. No, I felt like I was with a typewriter and everything. But just just listen to it and just just enjoy yourself. And it sounds, the quality of it, it's yeah. so good.
0: Yeah.
1: That's why it costs so much money to make. Yeah. It just
0: sounds so good. Soundscape.
1: Um, and yeah, as you say, I put a shout out to uh, Two Geeks Twitter of people's opinions on uh, all the worlds. Yeah, had a good good reaction. Um, Theo said, uh, "Love it! So many great memories listening to it over the years, my friends. I'll never forget the first time I listened to it alone in the dark with headphones on." See? That does
0: yeah, that is that's the way they do it.
1: I was young, but the first ooh la! Had me running out of my room, scared witless. Lol. <laughs> good agreed. <laughs> Uh, yeah Ben Page He his main memory of it was the amazing cover art by Mike Trim which is that, that powerful image of the tripod figure
0: producer of the uh, Jerry Anderson podcast Ben Page shout out
1: oh brilliant there you go uh, Toy Polloy said uh, still a favourite and I laugh every time I hear the line the horse's bits were covered in foam how childish of me
0: there you go check out uh, Toy Polloy's uh, YouTube channel as well
1: Mikey V Bud Gaming, he he loves us. Ah, he, he uh, said he heard it for the first time when a music teacher played it in full over several lessons.
0: Good times. What a lazy teacher? Uh, sorry, a brilliant teacher. So sorry, but this coming from you, who instead <laughs> I had to of do a dance I was I, I was like playing rugby out in the freezing cold <laughs> in little short shorts, and you're <laughs> learning a dance routine to David Essex. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I love the idea that this teacher was like, <sighs> it's the end of the term, <laughs> I just check on War of the Worlds. It's like 90 minutes. So
0: yeah. I can do this in like two or three lessons. It's like it's like when, yeah, it was it was the last day of term. They just wheel out that little TV on wheels and put, oh, yeah. put, put Shrek on. Yeah. It's like I'd much rather listen to Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Uh, Paul said, uh, first heard it on vinyl from my
1: uncle. Then the double C D came out, and the difference was amazing. Hearing Eve of the War blew my mind. I agree, Paul. <laughs> And uh, Gary Braden said, "1978, I was 18 and in the army. at team Redstone, and the local NPR station played the entire album with zero breaks. Mind blowing! I love that. Again, a radio station being lazy, just chucking on the album what? with no, with no like uh,
0: ads or anything. I love that. On. I love. all the... genuinely, <laughs> it's not often I'm sort earnest. I hate being earnest. <laughs> what a fascinating kind of collection of yeah. of, of memories, different memories and experiences. Yeah. Like that. Who was who was that last one from? Uh, Gary Braden. Gary. Yeah. Like." I love those early recollections we heard about people just you know as a child sitting um, mm. it, what, you know earphones on in the dark but then Gary's um, experience in of it in the army it's totally different yeah, that is fa- that is genuinely fascinating so thanks for those um, I'm just glad
1: I'm not the only ner- well clearly 2.7 2. million can't be wrong um, but this was fascinating I didn't know this was the case so what would you do if you had a successful musical album
0: make another one no <laughs> you no you, w- no, so? you wouldn't
1: no, but instead, you, in 1984, you would release Jeff Wayne's video game version of The War of the Worlds for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum home computer.
0: <laughs> so is it like... A little bit. Uh,
1: gameplay required the player to visit a series of sites in and around London by moving a person using cursor click keys or a joystick and occasionally making choices as to whether to hide, run or stand still.
0: How is this specifically Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds?
1: Well... I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's like the E. T. video game from the day where it has nothing to do with the film. It's yeah. just you fell down a hole and you had to try and get out of it. Great. Was this was this a thing? E.T.? E.T.? E- oh yeah, oh, it's the worst video game of all time. <laughs> Never heard of it. Oh, this. we've got to do that at some okay. point. It's the wor- We should do E.T. as an episode purely so I can talk about the game. It's <gasps> fascinating.
0: Felt, fell down hole when I had to get out of it. Yeah. E.T. fell down
1: hole. Uh, do you know there was the whole video game crash of the 80s where they there was too many video games and, and for a while it looked like video games were dead because <laughs> there was too many. No. It was E.T.'s fault because <laughs> it was so bad. It ruined the whole thing. Anyway, we'll do that another time. <laughs> E.T. always killed video
0: games. Yeah. Wow! Uh, no extraterrestrial. Link
1: the though. game was unpopular with r- reviewers because it ran very slowly, and the player was often killed. Um, hunger and thirst
0: becoming very common cause Wait, of the death. The player was often killed. No wonder it was unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, in the in the in game, the game. game in yeah. The
1: game. Um. So his his little burst of the intro to the video game version of <laughs> the Worlds from 1984.
0: Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds.
1: Yeah. quite the same, is
0: it? It sounds like me trying to play it on a, an old-fashioned keyboard.
1: Yeah. They, they, they tried. That's the, <laughs> the, only, the only bit of ref Wayne that's in it. I love that. Very nice. Right. <laughs> so you might have to read what's saying here. So it's essentially a stick man. It's like a drawing. It's a, it's, a, it's early days of video games. Yeah. It's a stick man. And then you've got the tripod figure. Yeah. And it, what does it say?
0: Uh, the... Show I do my best, best burton? Yeah, go on. Okay. The road is blocked by a Martian fighting machine. The ghostly, terrible race strikes. <laughs> run for it. <laughs> the Martian misses you. I think
1: he means that he missed the shot. He didn't miss him
0: patiently. <laughs> yeah, it's not. You escape. You run recklessly for some time. You lose your way and get lost. You wander around for a while. <laughs> It is Monday morning. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what this has to do with... This is Leatherhead. It is Monday morning. (laughs) That went too quickly. I missed that one.
1: Anyway, I mean, done transactions. Wow, that is... uh, That that
0: was absolutely diabolical.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they tried. It's made video games about everything back then, but then in 1998, a real-time strategy game, Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds, was created by Rage Software and released for the personal computer. There you go. Jeff Wayne himself produced the musical arrangements for the game. Now you're now you're putting the effort in. Consisting of 45 minutes of material re and remixed in a newer electronica style with techno beats, he's done what I said to not do, and
0: he ruined it. What I said, don't don't do the remix high energy dance. Beat oh versions. no, that's what he's done. Why Why do we get this, but not the version where Paul Rogers
1: and Santa? Ana? <laughs> I know. The game's artwork was based on the Michael Trim, Jeff Taylor, and Peter Goodfellow illustrations found throughout the original album booklet. And some of Richard Burton's dialogue as a journalist is used in the opening and closing scenes. Nigel Hawthorne and Lewis MacLeod voiced the human and Martian generals, respectively, in this game. Wow. Uh, the cutscenes are quite impressive for the time, but it really is just. Just a dull strategy game. I can't really, there's no point. I can't show it to you. Nah. It's just one of those strategy games. Yeah. There's nothing to show you. It's, that's it. Anyway, but then in 1999, a year later, a third person shooter, also titled Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds, was developed by Pixel Logic and released for the Sony PlayStation. It used much of the 1998 game's music and graphical elements, but featured an entirely different campaign with a focus on vehicular combat. Nice. All a bit weird, but I love that they tried. But yeah, in recent years, War of the Worlds has lived on in the form of live shows. Right, so in september 78 Jeff had actually entered negotiations with Paramount Pictures over the film rights with two concert producers to present a live stage version of the album. Makes sense. The idea just came to nothing, and it took Jeff until 2006 to stage a
0: concert tour of the album. took him a long time. Uh, you do know this is the uh, top 40 highest selling albums of all time <laughs> I do you do know I'm Jeff Wayne yeah I'm, I'm the Jeff Wayne Jeff Wayne, the Jeff Wayne of the Boar of the
1: Worlds. <laughs> Uh, the tour finally began in the UK and Ireland in April 2006 and featured Jeff conducting the 48-piece Olah Dub Oolah strings and 10-piece Black Smoke Band. How old's Jeff now? Uh, Getting on. Is he still still around? He's still still around, he's still touring, he's still doing the live shows. He's um, 78 now, still still kicking about. Um, In this version, a virtual Richard Burton, which is essentially a large bust of the journalist onto which a projected image of a young Burton with uh, superimposed actor's mouth and jaw lip synced to the original Burton recordings. The original deepfake. Yeah, performed as the journalist. Justin Hayward came back, he reprised his original role as the sung thoughts of the journalist. And Chris Thompson came back as the... The voice of Humanity, brilliant! They both came back.
0: <laughs> yeah, like Chris wasn't that busy. Let's be honest.
1: <laughs> Other guest artists who appeared were the People's Tenor, Russell Watson as Parson Nathaniel, uh, Alexis James was the Artilleryman, and Tara Blaze was Beth. And then there was a model fighting machine on
0: stage. Wow, really Russell, Russell Watson yeah. again. He's got his cult credentials. Oh, yeah. War of the Worlds. Yeah. Did the theme tune to uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. Good theme tune. I've got faith. Yeah. That had nothing to do with anything. Why? What was that? Great song. What were they thinking? <laughs> I quite like the song. Very strange. <laughs> but yeah, no, very very strange. Very strange decision.
1: Another UK live tour took place in 2007 with Justin Hayward, Chris Thompson, Alexis James and returning. But also, Sinead Quinn as Beth. From, from, from Fame, Fame Academy. Academy. Yeah,
0: great. I can't break yeah.
1: down, yeah. break down. Great. Banger, yeah. yes. 2008 was the 30th anniversary of the original album release and a number of events took place, including a 30th anniversary tour. Uh, it saw Hayward, James and Thompson reprise their roles, but also Australian Idol runner-up Shannon Knoll taking on the role of Parson Nathaniel and Jennifer Ellison as Beth from uh, Brookside. Brookside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a, a short-lived pop career. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, The virtual Burton was also improved. (laughs) I love that no one replaced Richard Burton. No. Um, The whole face was animated, so, an actor was found with a similar facial structure, apparently. And all of Burton's narrative parts were mimed, and his face was superimposed onto the face of an actor. Literally a deep fake. Yeah, so they did it. Yeah, the early days of a deep fake. Uh, in 2010 and 2011, live dates took place in the UK, Ireland, Germany, and lots of other places. Hayward and Thompson were still there, still kicking around. And then, Pastor Nathaniel, played by Ridian Roberts, Rid- of the X Factor. Oh,
2: wow! Great.
0: I love how they're getting all these uh, yeah. talent show yeah. uh, offshoots,
1: outcasts. The or- artillery man, Jason Donovan. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Beth, Liz McLarnon of Atomic uh, oh, Kitten. Kitten. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, in 2011, after a short hiatus from touring, Jeff Wayne announced a new musical version of All The World's album to be released. What? In 2012, entitled The New Generation. Now, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. But what was the point? So what, you just did it again? The whole album, but it was slightly but updated. New songs or? no. Nah. Oh. The same thing, like so, a remake. Oh, but just add more... New singers. Right. And just, just slightly update. Like when they redo Band-Aid. Yeah, it
0: yeah. was
1: fine. I enjoyed it, but
0: yeah. Just listen to the original.
1: He explained that the idea was to return to the original album and explore HG Wells' characters in more detail. So I think he did add a little bit here and there. He developed a love story between... If someone had given his name, George Herbert... Maybe they only revealed the name in this
0: one. Oh, wow! Controversial.
1: And Carrie um, Wayne also explained that it would allow him to reinterpret his compositions with new production techniques of today. But again, it's it's like it's like um, George Lucas. Let it let it be. Yeah, it's George Lucas essentially. Yeah. Um, along with the new album, would come a new voice of the journalist. Oh, oh, n- yeah. They got rid of Vir- Richard Burton for this one. You didn't even rely on
0: virtual Burton. No, no. Virg-
1: Burton's no. out. You know who's in?
0: Uh, go on, Liam Neeson strong which is pretty damn good if you ask me so it's like uh, uh, what's, what's the quote again? oh um, slowly but surely they drew their plans against it's us Like like uh, slowly but surely they drew their plans against us
1: very good yeah. that's exactly it yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's on the album but also he appeared as a 3D holograph holograph? holograph as a 3D hologram on stage for the <laughs> yeah. arena tour so you would have Liam Neeson sort of come on a hologram so, of the So Neeson. they could say that Liam Neeson was right. there, but he he wasn't really. Also, um for the tour, actually for both the album and the tour, Kaiser Chief's front man, Ricky, R- Ricky Wilson as the artillery man. I don't know why, I did know this. Yeah. Um Kerry Ellis would play Beth on tour. Uh L- Marty Pello was added to the tour cast. Oh. Brilliant, as the song Thoughts of the journalist. And uh Jason Donovan returned as well. Um so what a super group that is. I know. And for the so yeah Neeson would appear on stage as the as a journalist first as an 11 foot holographic head and shoulders much like the Richard Burton version in the previous one and then as a full body hologram interacting with live performance yeah so he'd come out and sort of interact since so he sort of had to do this wooden kind of performance with the pre-recorded Liam Neeson um and then he was also this um CGI thing in the background very strange but oh well you couldn't you didn't want to act he needs someone to gravitas, but Liam Neeson yeah. wasn't going to commit to a 30-date tour. It's it's very much the modern
0: version of, of Burton being like, I'm not going to listen to yeah. it. It's like, I'm not going to actually appear yeah. on stage.
1: So, um, also the new album was released. So you had Ricky Wilson as the artilleryman, man, Joss Stone as Beth, <laughs> uh, Alex Clare, do you remember him? He was a thing for a while. Oh, yeah. Too Close, great song. Yeah, Too Close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up, the, up all night. Yeah, yeah. He, he was uh, the Chris Thompson part. Now, I don't remember Maverick Sabre. <laughs> I think he was a thing for a while. Yeah, no,
0: Maverick Sabre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah.
1: he was past Nathaniel. Not quite Phil Linnett, if you ask me, but, you know, fine. And then, as Justin Hayward, Gary Barlow. Wow. Yeah. I love that so, it's as Justin Hayward. Yeah, I couldn't be asked to, to say the sung thoughts of the journalist, which I've now said. And then, obviously, Liam Neeson as, as the journalist himself. Um, so not as good, but why not? Do you want a little burst of the new version just so you have an idea what it sounds like? I would...
2: I, yeah. I guess few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets and yet across the gulf of space (laughs) minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely they drew their plans against us (laughs) this is jeff wayne's musical version of the (laughs) war who's this guy this is jeff wayne's (laughs) war the world
0: I mean, it's too... It's too, too
1: yeah, high yeah. energy. It's a bit Bass Hunter.
2: Featuring Liam Neeson, Gary Bolo, and a new generation of stars. My life will be forever hey though.
0: That's very that's Gary. Great. Yeah. It's yeah. a
2: new double album
0: out now yeah but I, I enjoyed it it was a bit that was a bit Apollo 440 you know yeah, they would, yeah, they would yeah. do their remix of Lost in Space yeah, and yeah. yeah. no I enjoyed it um, but
1: uh, it was like the new West Side Story great but why why yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 2013 tour of the new generation so they then toured the new generation yeah had various this guest this is like, like say by the well. Bell the new class yeah so yeah. filling in they had Westlife's Brian McFadden <laughs> as the song thoughts of the journalists brilliant I that wish is, I'd
0: seen that. I wish I'd seen it. That is such a like... It's uh, we, we him we,
1: singing, Lionheart here.
0: Oh, it would be so good. That is so like, we can't get Barlow. No. Who do we get yeah, that's a bit, a bit like before. Barlow? Yeah.
1: Um. Carrie Hope Fletcher. Oh, yeah. She was Beth. And Shane Ward played the artillery man for a while. Now, there was another live version I actually went to see live in 2016.
0: It but, was very exciting. Who, who was your cast? Uh,
1: it was... It couldn't be better. Okay.
0: Because right? already we've had some of oh, your favourites. We've had, top we've had notch. Barlow. McFadden McFadden Marty Pello
1: Pello all sorts God, so somewhere. you had
0: Heidi Range from the Sugar
1: Babes the Sugar Babes she was there yeah but then you had David Essex he's back wow they brought Essex back but he sort of I don't know who he was playing I think he he wasn't the artillery, the artillery man. man he was he was like um, I think it was the Justin Hayward part yeah. he sort of did that and then Jimmy Nail what as Parson Nathaniel fucking brilliant wow yeah and then as the artillery man, Daniel Bedingfield. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I've got to see Daniel Bedingfield live. Now, you don't know this, but I'm a <coughs> massive Daniel Bedingfield fan, underrated. Yeah. Oh, he's just he's he's a, a strange fellow, but he's brilliant and you're, he he deserves a comeback.
0: And te- I thought I thought this was going to be his comeback. You gonna tell him about the letter? Oh, the uh, what letter? The the the, the handwritten or the lyrics. Oh yeah, the, no, yeah. Lyrics?
1: yeah, yeah, he did this like um go me thing or whatever it was. And um I paid for him to do the handwritten lyrics if You're Not The One. And I lost it. Don't know where what? It is. Yeah, don't know where it is. Oh. Lost it forever. It's there somewhere. It must be somewhere. Yeah. But it was just him just writing If You're Not The One over and over again. <coughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was great. He was genuinely really good. Yeah. And I'm like, good. Because before this, since so yeah. 2016 this was, Yeah. Daniel Benningfield had done nothing since 2005.
0: Yeah.
1: Suddenly came back like 10 years later. I'm like, yes, he's back. <laughs> and he's great. Yeah. And then, nothing since.
0: The Martians got him.
1: But apparent, it's a Monday morning, and apparently during the run, he, I think he just fell out with people, and he left. Oh. He sort of left the tour. It was quite sad. Couldn't get through it. Yeah. So never mind. I thought you did there. <laughs> yeah. Very good. But it's still going now. 2021 marked the 15th anniversary of the original 2006 version of the staging.
0: Who's in it now? One of one of Girls Aloud. Or?
1: Um, it's uh, well, you got Justin Hayward. He's back. Oh, Hayward's back. He's back. Um, Duncan James.
0: There we go. Blue. One of blue. one of blue. Yeah, he's in, yeah of course. Uh, Steps is uh, Claire Richards. This 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 feels like a like they've got like balls yeah. <laughs> with names in of like naughty yeah. pop stars, yeah. and they're just like doing a tombola. And then this is a weird one. Strictly dancer Kevin Clifton. Now can he
1: sing? I don't know. He must sing. It's not a dance thing. Yeah. So I guess he sings. Great. Good, Good for him. Kevin. And uh, that ran in March and April of this year, and it finished at the O2 in London. So massive, massive venue. Oh, yeah. So very impressive. And there's yet another version I didn't know about in 2018. Um the, Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds the musical drama was on Audible.
0: <laughs> That's far too many So buzz.
1: so it's a 5-hour Audible original production based on his musical version with new story and musical content starring Michael Sheen as the journalist. I didn't know about this. Taron Egerton as the artillery man, Aid Edmondson as Ogilvy, Theo James as Parth and Nathaniel and Anne Marie Wayne as Carrie. Great cast. But like but what is it? Because it's like the original version is already an audiobook to to an extent. Yeah. So what's this? Like just the musical bits in the background, but without the songs.
0: Yeah. I assume. Is this is like, again, not to bring it, always bring it back to Les Mis, but is, but this is like when the BBC adapted the book of Les Mis, Yeah. Rather than, if, wait, if you're doing just a version of Jeff, It's just Jeff War Way's of the Worlds. The War of the Worlds without the songs. I think it's, it's just, like War of the Worlds, but with the musical instrumentals in the background.
1: Right. I assume. Anyway, here's a, here's a trailer. I've got to listen to it. So I'm sure it's great. No one would
2: have believed in the possibility of life on other planets. Essentially, Michael Sheen doing a Richard Burton. Immeasurably superior to ours. Regarded this Earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds, the audio drama, an audible original. Available now. Very, very confusing
1: but all right great so that is it for the musical version of the War of the Worlds
0: thoughts uh, flabbergasted <laughs> I, no I just more it's, to it than you thought isn't it there's is a lot more to it than I thought it's I I don't quite get it <laughs> but I don't but I feel like I want to give it a, a chance now it's yeah the whole the whole thing is
2: Fasc- yeah. it is fascinating.
0: fascinating to yeah. me if nothing else
1: I'm just glad it was a massive success
0: yeah and I have to say I was you know you couldn't see this listeners but I was bopping away to a few of those tracks very yeah. catchy yeah yeah. I just like again I just like the gumption of <laughs> Jeff Wayne that he went do you know what? I'm just gonna do this I'm gonna spend like a ludicrous amount of money and but it but but it paid off for him yeah he created something that is like I said, it doesn't really exist um, no other franchise has something like this no um it's yeah. So it's it's certainly unique. Yeah, I'll say that for it. We'll definitely listen to it. I'm. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, so. do you know what? Yeah. We always say this, but I'm. I'm genuinely so intrigued. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So if you'd like more witty drunken banter about pop culture, then head to two twogeeks2beers.com where you can listen,
0: download and subscribe to all 100 plus previous episodes. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and please do leave us a review. It's really easy to do. Just head to 2geeks2beers.com, click the rate this podcast button and go for it. And remember, we'll be collecting the very best reviews each episode and we'll send a Two Geeks beer mat to the very best review, particularly if you can use some Two Geeks references in the review. Yes, uh, the winner this time is loyal listener
1: uh, Stu Mackay, who wrote a great review. Uh, what other, It's just a really nice review, to be honest. Um, what other podcasts could uh, take you from Hawks in the first episode to The Lake House in the latest one, with more episodes than The God of Gamblers and The Scorpion King franchises combined? They cover subjects from Predator to Point and Click Adventures, Buck Rogers to Bucky O'Hare and Pogs to Poirot, usually spelt with a W, brilliant. <laughs> Uh, Tom and Morgan are up there with my uh, favourite actors, Chris Barry, Josh Holloway, <laughs> and especially Arnold Vosloo. Uh, it might be presumptuous, but the biggest compliment I could give them is to say their podcast really bites into your history. Way to go, dudes. All right. Incredible. Brilliant review. Brilliant. And that's a proper listener right there. So a-
0: many references. Attention to detail. Yeah. That is in- that is incredible. So we want that kind of thing. Um
1: doesn't have to be as many as that each time but just any kind of reference to a previous actor or
0: TV show or film that we've discussed in the past yeah. please do so uh, yeah well done Stew. a uh, Two Geeks beer mat will be winging its way to you very soon and remember you can follow us on socials at Two Geeks cast on Facebook Twitter and Instagram you can get in touch with the show at podcast at two geeks twogeeks2beers.com and you can support us on Patreon give us a search on there and you can get lots of exclusive goodies and bonus mini-sodes for just a little bit of cash each episode we record we also record a bonus mini and some may say they're even better than the real thing (laughs) there you go
1: so that is it they said the chances of anything coherent coming from this podcast were a million to one they'd probably be right yeah yeah cheers bye for now
0: a great lineup um there's, you know, as Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds. Mm. Throughout the years, you had uh, members of, of, of the Sugar Babes yeah. and, uh, and 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 Blue mm. and uh, and Atomic Kitten. Yeah. And do, do you know, what I feel like maybe maybe started all this off, maybe where they, where they took their inspiration from yeah. was um, yeah, when 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 Jeff Wayne was thinking about other um, other other things he could adapt. It was you know um, Wells's the, the Time Machine, mm. and uh, of course, there's a film adaptation of of the Time Machine. In in the early noughties. yeah, and it starred uh, Guy Pearce yeah. as as sort of the lead scientist, and as the female lead, Samantha Mumba. Oh yeah, and it's Samantha, Samantha Mumba. How did that and and it was a, it was a very it was a very particular. I, I, don't get me wrong. I love I love Samantha Mumba. Yeah, some great pop hits. Yeah. But it was a very particular period in time, wasn't it? Where where Samantha Mumba the, would be cast in the Time Machine. But then nothing else really. No. Never, perfectly fine in the film. Yeah, but why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so, but she's not done War of the Worlds. No, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, Jeff Wayne, the the Jeff, the Waynes, the War of the Worlds, yeah. Generation Three, Samantha Mumba, and bring back Bedingfield.
1: Yeah. Hashtag. Yeah.
0: Hashtag. Yeah. Do serendipity. <laughs> hashtag. Do you've got mail? <laughs> do you've got mail? Hashtag. Bring back Bedingfield. <laughs>